exult in the Lord during our worship service, to rejoice in him. And uh, I noticed as we've sung the three uh, psalms that we've sung so far, that in each case they have uh, talked about that exaltation of worship, that bliss beyond compare. And I didn't uh, uh, pick the, the songs with that in mind, but it's an illustration of the fact that it's that common in the scriptures and in the psalms in particular as they talk about worship, uh, that common, that, that particular theme. We turn now to read another psalm, Psalm 37, verses 1 to 22, Psalm 37. Do not fret because of evildoers, be not envious toward wrongdoers, for they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him and he will do it. And he will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret, it leads only to evildoing. For evildoers will be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. Yet a little while and the wicked man will be no more. And you will look carefully for his place and he will not be there. But the humble will inherit the land and will delight themselves in abundant prosperity. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes at him with his teeth. The Lord laughs at him for he sees his day is coming. The wicked have drawn the sword and bent their bow to cast down the afflicted and the needy to slay those who are upright in conduct. Their sword will enter their own heart and their bows will be broken. Better is the little of the righteous than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord sustains the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the blameless and their inheritance will be forever. They will not be ashamed in the time of evil, and in the days of famine they will have abundance. But the wicked will perish, and the enemies of the Lord will be like the glory of the pastures. They vanish like smoke, they vanish away. The wicked borrows and does not pay back, but the righteous is gracious and gives. For those blessed by him will inherit the land, but those cursed by him will be cut off. Would you also turn please to James chapter 5, James 5, I'll read verses 1 to 11, the text for the sermon verses 7 to 11, and then I'll read also from Lord's Day 10. Come now, you rich, 
Weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted and their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. Behold the pay of the labourers who mowed your fields and which has been withheld by you cries out against you. And the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. Now our text. Be patient, therefore, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Behold, the farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and the late rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. Then uh, also, Lord's, also Lord's Day 10. Question 27. What do you understand by the providence of God? Providence is the almighty and ever-present power of God by which he upholds, as with his hand, heaven and earth and all creatures, and so rules them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty, all things, in fact, come to us not by chance, but from his fatherly hand. And question 28, how does the knowledge of God's creation and providence help us? We can be patient when things go against us, thankful when things go well, and for the future we can have good confidence in our faithful God and Father that nothing will separate us from his love. All creatures are so completely in his hand that without his will they can neither move nor be moved. Covenant people of God, we have already seen in Lord's Day 9 that God the Almighty One can show to us a good providence in all of our circumstances. And we have also seen that since He is our eternal Father through the Lord Jesus Christ, He wants to show us a good providence also in all circumstances. Now, Lord's Day 10 
brings out a number of implications of this truth, or if you prefer, a number of applications. One of those applications is that we ought to be thankful for every single blessing that we receive because every single blessing is from his providence, from his hand. Another application that there ought to be a confidence in us as pertains to the future. We ought to be confident about the future because God in the future will continue to deal providentially with us. And a third application is that uh, we ought to be patient when uh, the providence of God may uh, cause us to think, may seem to us, that that providence is going against us. Patience in adversity. And it is the last two points that we consider, especially this afternoon. The importance of patience and also of confidence in the Lord as we trust him during difficult circumstances. And these are very important Christian virtues. Having confidence in the Lord and also being patient in him. They're very important virtues because they help to protect us from some of the things that we may fall into, things that follow in the wake of impatience. It is these virtues, amongst others, that help us to protect a relationship of trust in the Lord. We look at it under two headings. First of all, the danger of impatience, and secondly, the blessing of patience. The danger of impatience and the blessing of patience. As we consider firstly the danger of impatience, I want to look at uh, what drives it, what drives impatience. And one of the first things, or the first thing that, uh, that does that, that uh, pushes us along with an impatient approach to things, is a lack of self-restraint. And when we talk about a lack of self-restraint, what we're really talking about is that we are not sufficiently relying upon the restraint of the Holy Spirit. A lack of self-restraint not merely has to do with us and what we lack, it has also to do with our relationship with the Lord and not relying upon the Word of God and His Spirit uh, to, uh, to guide us. That's what's involved in a lack of self-restraint. And that is uh, uh, pointed to here in our text in verses 7 and 8 and 10 with the word, the Greek word that is used for patience. And it's a word that literally means having a long temper. Patience means having a long temper. In other words, holding your temper back for a long time. And that requires self-restraint. And proper self-restraint requires uh, being led by God's word and spirit. Holy Spirit restraint and word restraint. Impatience, on the other hand, is a lack of all of those things, a lack of restraint. If we do that, if we hold our temper back, and we hold it back uh, for long, we are long-tempered, then we don't quickly lash out at other people. Those whose decisions and whose actions have upset us, those whose actions and words have hurt us, those whose habits and whose mannerisms annoy us, 
all of which things can uh, cause us irritation and impatience. And not only if we're long-tempered, not only are we less inclined to lash out at other people, we also then become uh, less likely to lash out at God himself and less likely to lash out at his providence, that which we feel is ultimately responsible for our painful situations and our losses. We know as Christians, ultimately, it is in the Lord's providence. A second thing that drives impatience is the difficult circumstances that we often find ourselves in. And here the word endurance in verse 11 points to that because it implies uh, someone who perseveres under trial as opposed to someone who, who crumbles and collapses because of the pressure. Situations, trials can surely test our patience. It might be illness, it might be persecution from non-Christians or uh, from the government or something of that kind. It might be uh, loss, losses that we have suffered. And sometimes these things uh, bring us, as it feels, almost to breaking point. In James 1 verses 2 to 4, however, James tells us to consider it all joy. Uh, far from breaking, he says, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. Let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. People and situations then, both of these factors can test our patience. And there's another factor, and that is the devil. The devil is involved in the picture here, and he uses these things, he uses the people, he uses the situations in an effort to, uh, to tempt us, and if he can, to destroy us, and especially to destroy Christians by these things. The Lord, on the other hand, and at the same time, the Lord uses these very same things, the people and the circumstances, he uses the very same things to test us and also to strengthen us, not to undermine and destroy and these things are, of course, a major theme in the book of James. Trials, temptations and testings. But note that the factors we have considered so far, the people and the circumstances, these are things that are essentially external to us. They're things that press in on us from the outside. We also have the devil working against us, as we've said, to bring evil to us from these external factors, but we have God working for us to bring good from them. Why is it then, seeing that we have no other than the Lord himself working in these very situations, the one who is almighty, who is more powerful than the devil, infinitely more powerful, we have him on our side, we have him uh, working in us, to bring and in our circumstances and in other people to bring good to us from all of these things and yet we so often resort to impatience. Why is that? Well, it's not just from because of external circumstances. There are also internal factors at work here. And the reason why we respond badly to these external circumstances 
is very often because of our own sinful attitudes towards the Lord. People, difficult people, difficult circumstances, it is quite possible for us in the Lord to regard these as uh, agents of a good providence, that which is being used to strengthen us. It's possible to do that. But instead we give in to sin. And we let these things get to us. And we regard them as unequivocally bad. We see nothing good in it at all. When another person treats us a certain way, when our circumstances are adverse, we see absolutely no good in it whatsoever and no good can possibly come of it. And that is because we are inclined to doubt the Lord's good providence. We doubt the good outcome and we doubt the sureness of the Lord's guiding hand. And if it's not that, then perhaps it is that we simply object to his time frame for doing things. We want all our problems resolved now. We want all the pain and the grief and the loss reversed. And we want it reversed immediately. And in that respect, we are often like spoiled children who cannot abide even the slightest setback. They want it reversed immediately. Or another possibility, uh, we convince ourselves that the present pain that we go through, the present grief, is simply unendurable. And the Lord has promised to help us, yes, and we know he does help his people, but he is not in our view, we wouldn't admit it, but our in inward feeling, the, the aid of the Lord is not sufficient to enable us to endure suffering of this degree. Well, these are all the roots of impatience and they are the roots of weeds that seek to grow in our life and to choke out a proper view of God's providence. The danger of impatience lies not only in the way it fosters that sinful attitude towards God's providence, it also brings other evil consequences. It undermines our experience of Christian joy. I talked before about uh, how frequently the Bible calls upon us to rejoice in the Lord and in the worship of the Lord. But this is something that will be quickly undermined when we give way to impatience. Joy is quite capable of flourishing in our lives. Christian joy is quite capable of flourishing in our lives despite adversity. It is quite capable of existing and growing and becoming greater in our lives, even if the adverse things are not removed. But impatience distracts us from that joy because it focuses so much on the pain that we experience and on the immediate cause of that pain, rather than encouraging us, as joy does, to focus on the blessings and on the Lord who is the giver of joy, the Lord in whom we exult. Impatience also undermines our confidence and our trust in the Lord's sustaining grace. Because when we are impatient, we are effectively not willing to wait to find out if the Lord would have sustained us by his grace after all. We're not willing to wait to find out. We have to act to try and remove things immediately, remove the pain immediately. 
And also impatience gives rise very often to feelings of guilt and dissatisfaction with ourselves because we know deep down impatience has led us to neglect not to complete a task or impatience has led us to run away from a certain situation rather than allowing ourselves to be completed to grow by suffering in the Lord's strength. Impatience, as I said, like the spoiled child, aims at an immediate removal of the cause of pain, the cause of difficulty, the cause of irritation. But the reality of the situation is that impatience causes far more problems than it solves because impatience is essentially destructive. There may also be consequences with respect to others, other people. Others in our homes, in our school, in our church, in our society. That destructiveness that is associated with impatience very quickly becomes turned against other people. Impatience often causes us to speak harsh words, bitter words, angry words, and uh, to do that, to direct that against others. Uh, It causes us very often to bring accusation against others, false accusation. Do not complain, brethren, against one another. Verse 9, in this context, James, directed by the Holy Spirit, is very much aware of the connection between impatience and uh, complaining against one another. If a brother is the cause of your problems, a brother or a sister... The solution is not to groan and murmur against him. And the solution is not to lash out against him. If he has sinned against you, the solution is quite simple. Follow Matthew 18. Go and deal with the matter. And if there's no joy in that, involve the church. If there's a matter of sin involved. If it's not sin... If it's just one of those annoying habits or actions uh, that I guess we, we all have and drive the people uh, close to us crazy with them, if it's one of those things, then it should be kept in perspective as, as a minor matter. And if, on the other hand, it is a major consequence that comes not from the sinful actions of our brother, perhaps an accident, as we call it, but not something that comes out of malice, not something that arises out of our brother's great irresponsibility. It's just that some great and terrible consequences came through his actions. If that's the case, then we have to accept that too, simply as a matter of the Lord's providence, and deal not so much with our brother, but deal with the Lord and accept his providence, rather than taking it out on our brother. There may also be eternal consequences at stake here. The Apostle James says that the judge is standing right at the door, verse 9. He says that the coming of the Lord is near, verse 8. And as the Lord Jesus himself described in one of his parables, when the master has gone, been gone for a long time, the inclination of the servants is uh, to begin to behave badly. They doubt his return. And so things become slack and they begin to treat each other badly too. But James warns us, he may appear to us to have delayed for a long time, but the reality of the situation is the master is right at the very door. 
And he is observing. He is uh, watching and checking on his servant's behaviour, if we can put it in those terms. And he is doing so because he is going to expose everything that is false and everything that is unworthy. He is going to expose every single false Christian. And may it be that not a single one of us here would be found on that day to be a false Christian. But he is also going to expose every false deed of true Christians, of those who are his people. Everything that is not built on the foundation of his son, on the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ, is going to be burned as with fire. Everything that you and I have built on impatience is going to be tossed out. If we love the Lord above all, then we want all of our works, every single one of our works to glorify him. We don't want them to be considered rubbish and thrown out. We want them to glorify him. Well, the dangers of impatience, as we've spelled those out, uh, ought to act as a disincentive to us. When we see it as sin against God's providence, for that is what it is. But as an incentive, we consider in the second and final place the blessings of patience. And we've already noted that uh, the Lord uses tribulation for our good. So we would expect from that that there would be blessings that come to us for enduring trials and doing so patiently in the Lord. The Apostle James mentions uh, three ways here in which we can focus on this blessing. Three things to help us at those times when we suffer pain and loss and so on. And the first of those is that we learn to focus on the past in the right way to uh, focus on the past. The uh, wrong way of focusing on the past is to cling to our brother's misdemeanours and to cling to our past setbacks and to become bitter about them and never to let that go. That's the wrong way. But there is a right sense in which we are called to focus on the past. Verses 10 and 11 provide us with examples of past suffering and patience coupled together Examples from the Old Testament with the prophets and with Job. The prophets were sorely persecuted by men. Uh, they suffered at the hand of the, uh, the people factor that we talked about before. They suffered from men simply, they were persecuted terribly, simply because they spoke the truth, because they spoke forth the word of God. And even though they suffered because of that, they kept on doing it. They kept on proclaiming that word, no matter what the consequences were. Job, on the other hand, suffered not so much from the people, perhaps a little bit from his uh, false friends, but uh, mainly from the terrible circumstances. He suffered from the circumstance, the situation factor. He suffered great loss and grief. He lost almost everything that a man can have in this world. And yet, despite that, he persevered in worship and in the service of God. He came perilously close to not doing that. He came perilously close to lashing out against men and lashing out against God's providence, against God himself. He came that close to it, but he came right at the end by God's grace. 
And none of these folk, neither Job nor the prophets, none of them at the end fled their responsibilities as believers. Some tried. They, uh, Jonah tried to flee his responsibilities. But at the end, none of them fled those responsibility as believers. They neither gave way, gave in to impatience provoked by men or by circumstances. Now the point that James is making by uh, drawing our attention to this is that we are quite willing to call such men blessed. Job and the prophets, we regard them highly. We regard their situation as overall favourable because they are men who were blessed and richly blessed by the Lord as they persevered in service to him. Maybe... Some of these men didn't exactly feel blessed by the Lord as they went through these things. But as we have the luxury to look at their situation objectively, we would say the Lord kept them safe, the Lord sustained them, the Lord brought great good to them and he blessed them both in a temporal way and also eternally. And we are glad of that. We are glad that these men endured, that they were patient. We are glad that their patience has been put down as a testimony to later generations, to us included. We're glad that they went through all those things and endured and were blessed by it. But the problem is, we're not so glad that we have to. We are glad that we may call these men blessed. But the problem is, we are not sure that we are. And of course the reason for that is because when you're in the middle of it, pain makes it very hard to be objective. Well, the Bible encourages us to be objective. To lay hold of the testimony that we find in the scriptures. To be objective by laying hold of the word of God. Laying hold of the testimony of these past servants these servants of the Lord, and seeing ourselves in relation to them as we all stand in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why these things are being told to us. James also encourages us to focus on the future, not only on the past, but also on the future. The Lord promises that the outcome for us will be virtually the same as it was for the prophets and for Job. Now we have the benefit of hindsight with their situation, but of course our future is not yet upon us. And this too, what lies ahead of us, is something that we have to accept by faith from the word of God. James compares this focus on the future to a farmer who is waiting for his crop to come to ripeness. The uh, farmer plants his seed at the appropriate time, uh, a certain time of the year. He then has no choice but to wait patiently for the uh, rainy season or seasons in the uh, world of the, uh, the Bible and also for the harvest time. It's no good before the rainy season has come and things have started to grow, uh, going along and saying, ah, nothing's happening, there's going to be no good that comes of it, I'm going to go and I'm going to plough up this ground, I'm going to tear the whole thing up because nothing's happening. He's got to wait. 
And when the uh, shoots come up, it's no good him saying, well, the shoots have come up, but look, there's no grain, there's no ears of grain, I can't go out there and harvest, nothing good is going to come of this, I'm going to go out and mow the whole lot down and tear the whole lot up. He has no choice. He has to wait, and he has to wait patiently, and he does. That's what farmers are used to doing. You must be patient in a situation like this in order to enjoy the harvest. And so it is with us in a spiritual sense. For the Lord has decreed a certain delay, as it seems to us. The Lord has ordained, he has decreed, that for us, sanctification is a slow process. It's a lifelong process. And it's a process that embraces in it growth through adversity and trials. Patient waiting for the final outcome is an essential requirement of this process. Patience with the delay, as it seems to us. Patience with others whose sanctification is so pathetically slow. I mean, why is it I'm, I'm being sanctified at such a fast and speedy rate? It's really a great amazement to me. But all these other people, they are so pathetically slow in their growth. I have so much to put up with them. Uh, we have to be patient with that uh, growth that is uh, at least as slow for us as it is for them. And with their failures. And patience also with ourselves as we often fail too, as I said, in our slow process. This is necessary, this kind of patience, in order to enjoy the harvest. At the end, however, there is a wonderful harvest. The farmer's patience is rewarded by a bumper crop. We are rewarded, in the sense that we heard about this morning, due to the grace and the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are rewarded with a crown. We are rewarded with completion. With uh, the fullness of all spiritual blessing and life. We are rewarded with eternal life, joy, glory, everything implied in the word salvation. And that's God's purpose. That is his goal in providentially sending people and circumstances to us as trials and temptations for our sanctification. And it is his goal, it is his purpose with every single setback that we experience. No matter what it is, the Lord always has these same purposes for us. The harvest comes, as you know, with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. His coming is at hand. His coming is near. He's right at the door, verses 8 and 9. The delay is temporary. It is nothing but a short season from the Lord's point of view. Whatever you have to endure, you don't have to endure it for long. He is at the door. And He is there not only to test your patience, but He's also there to bless it. James therefore tells us, he commands us to strengthen our hearts, verse 8. And the word that's used there implies to stabilise your hearts with a prop or to uh, steal them, not to uh, 
uh, steal your hearts, S-T-E-A-L, that's a different kind of stealing of hearts, but uh, to steal your heart, S-T-E-E-L, put some steel in them, stabilise them, establish them with that rod of steel. With the knowledge that even though trials will come to you, they will come to the Christian in that process of sanctification. But God will preserve and bless us through that for Christ's sake. In fact, the prop, the rod of steel in our hearts, is actually the Lord Jesus Christ himself. We are to fix upon him and we are to lean upon him through all of these things. All of the people, all of the circumstances that make up our adversities, we are to fix upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only to fix upon the fact that he is soon coming back, that's part of it, but to lean upon him, upon the person himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, and also to lean upon the work, the saving work that he has done for us. And you see, this is really the the third way to foster patience that we learn to fix our hearts against impatience and to fix our hearts towards the Lord Jesus Christ and towards his coming. That our third focus, not only on the past, not only on the future, but a focus upon Christ. Remembering that he suffered far more than than we ever will. He suffered more from people and he suffered more from circumstances than you and I can even begin to comprehend. But he patiently endured it and he did so even to the point of dying on the cross. He did that so that you and I could be saved but also as part of that, that we persevere through all of the trials, all of the people, all of the circumstances, all of the temptations from the devil, all of that and come out of it even more richly blessed than we otherwise would have been. Congregation, next time people or circumstances threaten to drag you down and under, whether that would be from a constant flood of minor irritations in home and church and elsewhere, running right through to the major griefs and pains and losses, consider the dangers of impatience, how it so quickly leads us into further sin. But also consider the the burden of the word of God with its account of those who have endured suffering with the outcome of great blessing and also its holding forth of the Lord Jesus Christ as the perfectly patient suffering servant in whom we are blessed. The judge, the one who was standing at the door, the one who is about to return as the master for his servants. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, as there are so many trials and frustrations in this life, so many disappointments concerning people and circumstances, Father, we pray that you would teach us godly patience and endurance so that we do not set an example of discontent. Teach us to look with eagerness and to trust in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, enable us to be so fixed upon him 
but all irritations are minor compared to the weight of glory that he brings. We ask it in his name. Amen. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. Hymn number 400.